Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 11. And just to remind you, as always, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a k or on facebook there is a facebook messenger widget on my website scientifictriathlon.com so you can send it through through that one as well before we get into today's question big thanks to stack who is sponsoring this episode stack has several power meter models but all of them are completely silent they have no wear and tear on the tire so your bike is always race ready and they fold really nicely and uh, are low and small and portable you can transport them in a large backpack you can store them under your bed if you're a bit low on space and uh, they are just great trainers overall the new stack zero halcyon won the eurobike 2018 award for best bike training accessory so that is a great achievement and you can check all of their models out on stackzero.com that's s-t-a-c zero spelled out dot com it's linked to in the episode description and you can take 20 percent off your order with the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps and a big thank you to Roka, who is also sponsoring this episode. Roka is a brand that's trusted by top triathletes like Mario Mola, Flora Duffy, Gwen Jorgensen, if we can still count her as a triathlete, I guess she's still an athlete, uh, Xavier Gomez, and many, many others. And for good reason, their products are really, really amazing. I talked many times about how much I love my Maverick X wetsuit and my Gen 2 Elite tri suit. Both of them, are, I think, are fantastic products that really, really, they do make me faster. Uh, so uh, really great products that I can highly recommend. And Roka now, as you have heard, have distribution through the UK and the EU. So no more import taxes and uh, customs duties when the when you import to the EU or the UK. Uh, that's all in the past, which is great, great, fantastic news. So you can go to their website roca.com and just choose your location from the drop-down menu in the top right corner, or you can go directly to uk.roca.com or eu.roca.com for those regions. And uh, yeah, that is it. Uh, then, of course, remember to take 20% off your order with the promo code that Triathlon Show, all one word, all caps. All right, so today's episode comes from David in Sheffield, United Kingdom. He writes, Hi, Michael, I'm a regular listener of your podcast. Keep up the good work. It's a great listen. Hopefully, you'll be able to answer a question I've got regarding using different heart rate zones for different sports. I'm relatively new to using a heart rate monitor. For the last 10 months, I've been simply using a heart rate monitor to ensure that my easy days are actually easy. Uh, so that is my comment. This is very good, uh, good use of heart rate monitor. Uh, David writes, I keep my heart rate under 142 BPM. This follows the math formula and math refers to the uh, maximum aerobic function by Dr. Phil Maffeltone. Uh, that formula is 180 minus my age. But this also happens to be 77% of my max heart rate. I got the figure of 77% of max heart rate from your interview with Matt Fitzgerald in episode 152. I'm now looking to start setting my heart rate zones. I read in various places that I should use different heart rate zones for different sports, but I'm confused why this is the case. From reading various articles from Phil Maffeltone, I get the impression that heart rate at aerobic threshold is the same for all sports. 
And here David links to an article that by Phil Maffeltone that I'll link to in the episode description as well. Uh, and uh, he cites Phil Maffeltone. A frequently asked question is whether different heart rates should be used for different sports. For example, should the maximum aerobic heart rate as determined by the 180 formula formula while swimming be different when the same athlete is cycling or running? How about walking or tennis? The short answer is no. The 180 formula holds true for all aerobic training activities. At the same heart rate, all sports require essentially the same levels of metabolic activities. And there the citation ends. And David continues, based on this, if it is the case that the aerobic threshold occurs at the same heart rate for all sports, then why would you set different heart rate zones for different sports? If in reality we do we do actually have a substantial difference in heart rate at aerobic thresholds for different sports, then I fully understand why you would need different heart rate zones. But if heart rate at the aerobic threshold is very similar between the different sports, regardless of the maximum heart rate for the sport, then having different zones doesn't make sense to me. Maybe I just misunderstood the Phil Maffeltone articles. Uh, from your podcast, I understand that you've done some lab testing in the past uh, for you and your coached athletes, so I'm hoping you'll be the man to answer this regards, Dave. Uh, thank you, David, for your question. It is uh, a great one, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, more than happy to dig into it. So first of all, let's start with the math formula or the 180 formula that your aerobic threshold can be estimated with 180 minus your age. I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> I'm definitely not a fan of it, if I'm honest. Although I, I I do realize that any testing that you do, if you do a 20-minute time trial or a one-hour time trial, besides going to a lab, any, any sort of formula based on field test or any other formula, there are always going to be estimates of your heart rate thresholds. But uh, I do think that a field test gets you so much closer than... Uh, a somewhat arbitrary formula of 180 minus your age. I mean, I understand that that uh, Phil has tested a lot of athletes and tried to fit the best formula to them, I guess. But still, with the individual variance that exists, I just don't think that we should be using formulas like that. And yes, there are there are some uh, adjustments that you can make to the formula, like add five beats per minute if you've been training two years. Uh, and progressed and you haven't been injured and whereas if you have been injured you should uh, reduce five beats per minute etc etc regardless of this i i am not a fan of that and um, yeah so so i i don't recommend anybody to use the math formula or the math method for that matter uh, although the point that he is making that uh, a lot of your endurance training should be easy that is that still holds true of course as we have been talking about in various episodes but uh, as we talked about last week to what extent it holds true that is uh, more of an in individual question again so so again i wouldn't recommend anybody to go out and always try to stay below their aerobic threshold anyway i much uh, i'm much a bigger a much bigger fan of your method of using the percentage of max heart rate i think that's uh, a more legit formula if any although i would say that uh, uh that using a it depends on how you got your max heart rate essentially if you got it in like a 5k race at the end of a 5k race or in an actual ramp test then that's fine uh, but if it's just the max heart rate you have achieved but you haven't specifically tried to reach your max heart rate then that might be actually underestimated uh, anyway uh, one final word on the math formula my math heart rate would be 152 beats per minute 
And on the bike, this is very close to my anaerobic threshold heart rate, which is probably uh, 158, 159 or something. And it's uh, a pretty high zone-free heart rate on the run as well, or mid-zone-free perhaps. So so for me, if I were to go out and and follow the math method, I would be training very hard every single day every every single time i go out and train so that that's just one example of how misleading it can be and I, several of the athletes that i coach would get crazy heart rate zones as well anyway that is not your question uh, but the question is should you be using different zones for different sports so let me reread that citation from uh, phil meffelton's article a frequently asked question is whether different heart rates should be used for different sports For example, should the maximum aerobic heart rate, as determined by the 180 formula, uh, whilst, by the way, maximum aerobic heart rate, that's a pretty misleading term. So let's call it just the aerobic threshold heart rate. As determined by the 180 formula, while swimming, be different when the same athlete is cycling or running. How about walking or tennis? The short answer is no. The 180 formula holds true for all aerobic training activities. At the same heart rate, all sports require essentially the same levels of metabolic activities. So I think, I I know that Phil probably tries to simplify this to just make, uh, sort of like, make the takeaway message clear. But at the same time, uh, I really have to say that this isn't quite correct. Uh, First of all, we cannot simply talk about how different sports um, and the the thresholds and the zones in different sports are different between the sports themselves, we must talk about the athlete. Uh, Because an elite cyclist who never runs will have vastly different metabolic activities going on at 150 BPM when cycling compared to when they are running at that same heart rate. Because they are not trained runners and are much more inefficient at using the muscles involved in running. So, of course, they're going to be much more aerobic at uh, regardless of whether the sport uses less or more muscles. Uh, but when you train 25 hours per week for years and years and years, you're going to be very efficient at that heart rate anyway. So, so that's an, exa- an extreme example. You have somebody who trains one sport a heck of a lot and another sport never. That's going to have an impact. But then even if you're well-trained in two different sports like cycling and running, there's still like the the use of different muscle groups and a different mass of uh, different muscle mass that does play a big role um, using different muscle groups well that plays a ro- role because muscle fiber composition of fast twitch and slow twitch may be different in different muscle groups so if one group is involved in running but not in cycling the fast versus slow twitch composition of that group uh, that's not involved in the other sport that will uh, determine sort of how aerobic versus not aerobic you are in one sport or the other now it is true though i do agree uh, to a point that at as we approach the elite end of the sport where triathletes are essentially like elite swimmers cyclists and runners all in one we do approach a situation where the aerobic threshold may become very similar between sports and the aerobic threshold heart rate uh, i should say uh, for for these athletes and and that probably goes for even very good age group triathletes that have a lot of training uh, in their bodies in each of the disciplines so and you're strong across the board then you could potentially make an educated guess that uh, it will be quite similar at least the likelihood that uh, 
the threshold heart rate is more is similar between cycling and running is much greater than for the beginner athlete who's just starting out or for the athlete that's making the transition from a single sport like running or from cycling to multi-sport like triathlon but still there is a lot of individuality to this it may be true for the average elite triathlete that the threshold heart rates approach each other but what if you're the you're one of the ones that have that does have that 10 beats per minute difference between the different thresholds the bike and the run aerobic threshold for example and you don't account for it then you're going to screw up your training and uh, it's the same as if uh, if i start training according to the math formula and and i accept that i i start going at just under 152 beats per minute all the time in cycling and running that's that's way too much to high intensity for me and i'm going to screw up my training so even though that formula may apply on average it does not apply for me so so i'm not going to to follow it so to dive a little bit deeper i did find a study that investigated the exact topic of whether training zones are transferable between cycling and running in a triathlon population and this study is uh, by Daniel Carey and colleagues. It's called Transferability of Running and Cycling Training Zones in Triathletes, Implications for Steady State Exercise. Uh, I don't have the year in front of me. I think it was the mid-noughties, uh, maybe 2005 or something. I'll link to it in the episode description so you can have a look yourself. Anyway, what they did was that they took 16 experienced but not professional triathletes, 10 male and 6 female, with an average age of 34, and they had them do VO2 max tests on both a stationary bike and on the treadmill. And the aim was to compare the anaerobic threshold. So note here, not the aerobic. I don't think that there is a study that has investigated that. But I think the concepts that uh, we can find from this study uh, apply equally to the aerobic threshold as to the anaerobic. And uh, comparing the max heart rate as well between cycling and running. And they wanted to assess, based on the results, whether training zones are transferable between the two. So the results are very interesting. On average, the maximum heart rate uh, in the bike test was 177. And on uh, on the treadmill in running, it was 178. So no significant difference. And the same was true for VO2 max. It was 68.4 on the bike and 69.0 on the run. So minimal difference and not significant, of course. And uh, the aerobic threshold heart rate was uh, 153.9 on the bike and 157 on the run. So only a 3.1 beat per minute difference, which is not much. And the difference was not statistically significant. Uh, so a comment here, with that high VO2 maxes, high 60s on average, and uh, many of the male athletes were probably in the low 70s, uh, since we had both male and female athletes here, uh, that means that these are definitely sub-elite athletes, and the VO2 max values in themselves could put them in the elite category uh, if they were training like elites. But anyway, back to the question at hand. So we just found that the maximum heart rate, the VO2 max, and uh, the anaerobic threshold heart rate did not differ statistically significantly between running and cycling in this study. Well, here's the kicker. The researchers kindly calculated the potential measurement error in statistical terms called the total error, or TE, uh, in determining the anaerobic threshold heart rate. 
and he was 12 beats per minute. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, obviously percentage-wise, it's massive when uh, when the Hartfords we're talking about are in the 150s. So it's uh, between 5 and 10%. So the authors do go on to clearly recommend using sport-specific testing because of the the sensitivity and the uh, the error potential error in in these sorts of measurements. And uh, another thing to point out, I do actually highly recommend that you click through, just go to the episode description, click through the link that I put in there for you, and scroll down to figure six in this study. Uh, there you can see the on the x-axis the treadmill anaerobic threshold heart rate, and on the y-axis the bike anaerobic threshold heart rate. And there is uh, a straight line, uh, a linear linear trend line that is uh, showing basically what where the points would lie if somebody has uh, the exact same running anaerobic threshold heart rate and uh, the and bike anaerobic threshold heart rate and you can see that uh, the points are scattered on both sides of the line so that's uh, basically basically that's what we we can see from the results as well that on average the the anaerobic threshold heart rates are quite close but when you look at the individual data points you can see for example i'm looking here at somebody who has a 140 bpm uh, running heart rate uh, or threshold heart rate but a 166 uh, bpm cycling threshold heart rate and on the flip side here is somebody who has a something like 158 bpm running heart rate but a 138 cycling threshold heart rate so there are these large individual discrepancies and you could be one of those discrepancies which makes it clear that you you should have uh, different different zones for for different sports there are also some interesting points made in the discussion of this paper about previous research done, because this has been studied before. Uh, so I'm going to cite the paper now and read sort of more or less directly from it. Uh, the authors write, most res previous results have indicated higher VO2 max va values for running compared to cycling. However, these studies are confounded by subjects tested, for example, untrained, trained or triathletes, and study designed untrained on both uh, cycling and treadmill cyclists on uh, on a bicycle ergometer or runners on treadmill runners on both cyclists on both etc and in general runners have produced higher vo2 max values on the treadmill whereas cyclists have produced higher vo2 max values on the ergometer uh, thus supporting the specificity principle. Untrained subjects will produce higher VO2 max values on the treadmill, probably because of the recruitment of a greater total muscle mass to perform treadmill running versus ergometer cycling. Our comparisons will focus on those studies using triathletes as subjects. Our finding of no significant difference in VO2 max for the cycling and running tests is similar to that of uh, uh, so, uh, or however you pronounce that name, who reported a difference of uh, something very minimal, uh, and that was statistically insignificant. In contrast to these results, others, and uh, three studies are cited, have found significantly greater VO2max values for, for treadmill running in triathletes compared to cycling ergometer test. To the best of our knowledge, no study has reported a significantly greater VO2max for the cycling test compared to the treadmill test in triathletes. The authors, so that's at the end of me citing the study, the authors also write that triathletes would like and need a maximal 
error or in the accuracy of uh, five beats per minute or so when it comes to their training zones and i agree with that i think you have to accept that there's probably always going to be you have to accept an error of five bpm but you don't want anything bigger than that and uh, going back to the total measurement error that these offers calculated being 12 beats per minute from this study uh, that's uh, that's way too big and when actually these they go went on to analyze the individual data for each of these triathletes and found that only five of the 16 triathletes if they were to apply uh, one of the training zones for example the cycling training zones for running or vice versa so just using one generic set of threshold in this case not zones but only five of 16 would uh, fall within that range so very few were actually within the same range even though even though there was statistically insignificant differences between the averages. So that's basically a long-winded way of saying that, uh, yes, you do need different uh, training zones for different sports, and uh, there is some research to support it there. To give you one final example, since you mentioned lab test, uh, the most recent lab result I have from an athlete that I coached uh, that included both cycling and running lab tests, and which ideally want to do in the same time period, so in the same month or so at least. Uh, that's from February of this year, of 2018. And uh, this athlete, he conducted these tests on consecutive days, so cycling on one day and running the next, or vice versa, I don't quite remember. But his aer- aerobic threshold heart rate, and in this case we do have the aerobic threshold and not the anaerobic threshold, was uh, th- they were 136 beats per minute for cycling and 147 beats per minute for running. So uh, there you go. That's that's 11 beats per minute difference for this athlete. And uh, and that just goes to show that he needed different training zones for different sports. So Dave, uh, to sum up, the answer to your question is that uh, the aerobic threshold likely does not occur at the same beats per minute for different sports for an individual even though it may on average have at the elite end of sports at least so do set sports specific zones for sure that's my recommendation so as mentioned i'll link to the research paper that i referenced in the episode description it's a good one so definitely check it out i'll also link to the maffleton article that uh, dave cited in his question Uh, my advice is to only use that to give you some context for this question not to guide your training uh, there are some good points in uh, Maffletone training, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to uh, put it down and uh, discredit it completely, but uh, at the same time, I think it's uh, a bit of an oversimplification. So, an, a high cleaning out item before we end this episode. Uh, some listeners have requested to hear more about my own personal training and racing and, and other things going on around it, like, uh, like nutrition, uh, gear, things I invest in, etc., uh, so so this has been requested by some and it would be sort of like a regular case study if you will and i would be happy to share my progress and be very trans- transparent with everything i do and any practical takeaways from it of course that's what i would try to uh, try for you to to get from them uh, so not just being it a bit not just for it to be about my training but actually what you can learn from it that that would be very important for me if i were to do something like this and if i were to do this I would probably dedicate one episode per month to to this sort of episode. And I would make sure to have the show notes for this episode on the website so you can go and check out my uh, my training and the stats, etc. The highs and the lows, everything would be in written form as well on the website. 
uh, with me working towards my main goal, 70.3 Worlds in Nice in September, but there will be plenty of racing along the way as well. Uh, I'm not sure yet if I'm going to do this, and I want to hear your opinion. Is this something you would like to see, or if, is this something that you would not like to see? Would you prefer that I uh, keep the format the way it is and not introduce this new type of episode? Give me your feedback. Send it to me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com. My email address is also in the episode description, by the way. It's Michael with a K. Or send it to me through your Facebook message on scientifictriathlon.com. And let me know, yay or nay, do you want these sort of my individual training, racing, case study episodes or not on a monthly basis? Looking forward to hearing your feedback on that. Big thanks before we end this episode to Roka for sponsoring this episode. You can find them on roka.com. That's R-O-K-A.com. And you can take 20% off your entire order with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all on word, all caps. And thank you to Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. That's S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. They sell the world's quietest bike trainers and you can get them for 20% off with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.